funny. This is a British comedy writer. His name's Spike Milligan. Uh, his last words were not only said, but he had them engraved on his... Well, I guess he didn't, but his family had them engraved on his tombstone. I told you I was ill. <laughs> Some of them are very unfortunate. This is Major General John Sedgwick, his Union commander during the Civil War. The Battle of Spotsylvania Courthouse, his troops were under fire by snipers, and he stood up on the ramparts to inspire his men. I think he inspired his men to think he was an idiot. They'd be right, because his famous last words were, don't worry, men, they can't hit an elephant at this dis... <laughs> Some are kind of ironic, given causes of death and things to that, but uh, the undisputed world champion of cool, Humphrey Bogart, his last words were, I should have switched from martinis to scotch. He died of throat cancer in part because of his drinking. Similar man with a similar desire or uh, affinity, if you shall we say, to libations. Uh, Winston Churchill had a very straightforward famous last words. They were, I'm bored with it all. Another guy that had, again, very straightforward famous last words, Stan Laurel, a great comedian. He was in the hospital and they were giving him an injection. He said, altogether, my friend, I'd rather be skiing right now. Some of them are very thoughtful. You probably never heard of this guy, Dominique Bonheurs. He's a 17th century French, I guess you say writer. He was a, a grammarian. He was in charge of doing grammar, and he wrote many criticism and books about proper grammar in French, and his last words were, I am about to or I am going to die. Either expression would be correct. And the great actor, British actor, John Barrymore, uh, was in the hospital, and somebody asked him, John, are you dying? And he said, die? I should say not, dear fellow. No Barrymore would allow such a conventional thing to happen to them. And those were his last words. A timely example, one that uh, I've always enjoyed. I don't know if you remember this face or this phrase, but uh, this is Todd Beamer. And he was on United Flight 93 on a Tuesday morning, the 11th of September, 2001. And somewhere over Pennsylvania, he called his wife on his cell phone and said they're going to try to take control of the airplane because they think terrorists have it. And they've heard through the cell phones that uh, the other attacks had happened on September 11th. And he said, we're going to try to take control of the plane. And the last words his wife heard as he hung up the cell phone was, Todd speaking to the rest of the passengers with him, all right, let's roll. And the plane crashed, not into the Capitol or into the White House, but in a field outside Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Those are good last words. Another guy that had some pretty great last words, the Apostle Paul. We've been studying the book of 2 Timothy. Uh, Paul, one of the heroes of the Bible, a man who was literally transformed uh, by Jesus Christ on a personal experience, one of the greatest writers, preachers of the word, and we've been studying his last words, probably, at least his last words in writing. So it's a good morning to be together. My name is Wes. I'm one of the elders here at Grace Point, and it's my privilege to wrap up our book of and our study of Second Timothy today. And uh, it's a great, great letter of a older man handing off authority, handing off wisdom, passing on 
all that he knows to a younger man, in in the case of this Timothy. And we use the image, I guess I use the image, of the baton being passed in in a track meet as this image of what this book, this letter is all about, that Paul is passing on everything he knows to a younger man to carry it forward. And then someday Timothy would pass it on and so on and so forth. And that's how we got to where we are today with the English Bible and us being in church together as uh, men like Paul passing it on one person to the next. We've been breaking this up as just a quick review of uh, kind of titled this Passing It On. And then we first opened up with a kind of a brief introduction survey and then talked about Paul passing on the privilege of suffering and how suffering is a critical part of what it means to be a Christian, that we suffer. Our Savior suffered, and that's part of what it means to be a Christian. We kind of looked at how Paul has passed on wisdom, warnings, and guidance to Timothy about the world and the perversion of the gospel and the importance of good doctrine. And then we looked at Paul passing on readiness, that he wanted Timothy to be ready to step in. And then talking about the calling, which is to preach the word and how that applies to all of us, no matter what our what we're doing, that we can be preaching the word and sharing the gospel. And today we'll wrap it up with uh, possibly some of the most inspirational final last words that I've ever seen. Uh, if you remember, as we looked through this, as we uh, went through that, the Bible transcends, it's not a, a piece of literature, in as much as every time you read it, you can get something a little bit different out of it or something a little deeper out of it. And it's important to note that's because of the Holy Spirit. It's the, it was written under the, the combination, the communion of the Holy Spirit, and in this case, the Apostle Paul. And the word comes to us through the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit illuminates it and takes it beyond word on a page or language. Only example I can give you to this is, uh, if you take a piece of literature, a great piece of literature like Moby Dick. I've read it a couple times, and every time I read it, I'm pretty much the same person afterwards. Maybe a little more bored. Um, but when I read Moby Dick, the whale always represents nature or man's obsession with conquering nature, and I'm, I'm not transformed by it. And if I read it again, I don't get a deeper meaning out of it. I got that the first time. The whale is nature. I get it. All right. It's white, whatever. But the Bible's different. Every time we read the Word, we can get more out of it. If you dig into it farther, you can get deeper meanings, and it rewards you by the Holy Spirit with a deeper understanding of that. And I tell you that because... If you look at these headings and you took really good notes in the past, you'll notice that these headings changed week to week because as I study, I would have a different, deeper, better understanding of it, and I'd have to go back and, ah, it doesn't make sense to call it that anymore. And that's the the beauty of the Word, and that's the privilege I have of preaching is that I get the most out of this. I mean, when you are studying, you really get to understand it, and that's if you ever get a chance to break down a, a piece of the Bible, even if it's just a simple verse, take it because it's, the process of doing it is really, really valuable to you. So we've talked about everything with all kinds of images, with the Awanaverse, uh, when it comes to passing on wisdom. We talked about the readiness with the idea that uh, being approved, the way that the coin makers in Greece were, had to be approved. We talked about being readiness, and the word we used was adequate, to be adequate for God, and gave the image of the space shuttle landing as how perfectly that was done. And we talked about the parable of the man in the flood, which isn't a biblical parable, but a good one about how we listen for God, but sometimes we only listen to God on our own terms, and God's showing us a lot of different things. And that was, you know, being ready to, to preach and pass it on. And so today, I want to take a look at just um, kind of 
two verses and then kind of this, this last bit. So it's sort of chapter 4 with part of verse 2, part of verse 5, and then 6 through 8 all together. Let's take a look at this. This is uh, chapter 4 of Second Timothy. Preach the word. That's our overall command. And then a more specific command, fulfill your ministry. Preach the word, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all have loved his appearing. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you this morning for your word and for our ability to meet in peace without fear of persecution, to discuss it, to worship you, and to be together, to identify ourselves with you. Father, we pray that by your spirit, you would correct any mistakes I might make in my preparation and my delivery today. Father, we pray by your spirit that each one of us would be taught by your word, and that you would plant your word into our hearts, that we might be adequate workers for you. Father, in this we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our perfect Savior. Amen. Okay, so Paul's entire letter, and we're, we're looking at the end of it, but the, the whole letter goes along with this, this idea of passing it on. And the central question is, what's this book of Second Timothy all about, as we wrap it up? And it's about passing it on. You probably weren't surprised by the answer. Everything we want to come back to is this idea of passing on and those two commands of preach the word and fulfill your ministry. We're really going to talk about that a lot today. The context for all this, 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 this entire letter, is the idea that at the end of Paul's life, he is passing on everything to a younger person in the faith. He's passing on the mantle of leadership. He's passing on his knowledge, his wisdom. He's passing on advice, warnings. He's passing on authority even to Timothy and having Timothy carry this letter forth. So it's Paul's last words, Paul's final commands, and a little bit of reflection on Paul's life. And the structure of this, what does it say, can really be kind of broken down into two three-part little sections. So the ABC is kind of the, the overall command, preach the word, the personal command, fulfill your ministry, and then sort of follow my example, Timothy, and Paul will talk about his life. And that example can be broken down into three parts, that Paul's life is an offering to God, that he has endured great things, and that he will be rewarded. Not rewarded for his actions, but we'll, we'll get to that eventually. He'll be rewarded for faith. So that's kind of the structure of it. That's what we're going to take a look at. Um, words that are kind of important in this. Okay, you can kind of tell the colors there. Preach we talked about last week. Okay, to herald, to proclaim, to be a representative of God and spread the gospel. Normally, it's done verbally. That's, that's kind of the context of it, but it can be done in writing, and it can be done in actions. It can be done through the things you do that lead to that personal one-on-one conversation. And then the two real words we want to get into we'll talk about is fulfill and ministry, and then this great, uh, this great triplet of, of uh, Paul and looking back at his life. With the passage, though, as we talk about fulfilling your ministry, take a look at verse 5. And this is Paul to Timothy and by extension to us. But you, Timothy and us, be sober in all things, endure hardship, and the important part for context, do the work of an evangelist. 
fulfill your ministry. And what I want to really focus on is the idea of fulfilling your ministry and dig into that just a little bit. And the context for everything we're talking about is that idea, be an evangelist. Be an evangelist. The key to all ministries is to be an evangelist and a bringer of the good news. Now, that word evangelist is easy for me to remember because my wife, when she was born, Molly and Elvin gave her the name Vanjie, which is short for Vangeline or Evangeline or Evangelist. Good thing she's a believer. That, that worked out well, Molly. Well done. <laughs> Thank you, by the way. Um, and this all coordinates together in the Word. What does it look like to be an evangelist? You, it's easy to sit here and say, well, I'm, I don't have the gift of evangelism. I'm not a missionary like Paul and, and people. Well, take a look at the back of your notes. We're going to use your notes a lot today and your bulletins. So if you don't have one, you know, grab one on your way out. But on the back of your notes are all the different ways you can be an evangelist. I kind of split them up. Those are, that's not all, but those are some of the ministries here at Grace Point that you can get involved with. Some involve speaking, some don't involve speaking. Either way, the idea is that there's a lot of different ways for you to express being an evangelist, a lot of ways for you to express preaching the word, and a lot of ways for you to express fulfilling your ministry. This is the final advice, the final command from Paul to us, to the world, that Paul has poured out his life as an offering. He has fought the good fight. He has kept himself as a believer in the faith, and he's going to arrive in heaven as a believer. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry. Then, Yeah, Brian, if I'm going to cough, I don't know if you can cut that in time for me not to blow everyone's ears out, but... That's what it says. So let's talk about what it means, and let's really focus on these two words, fulfill and ministry. So let's start with, uh, oh, I had that up there. Do the work of an evangelist. Moving on. Okay, fulfill. This is an important one. Uh, Verse 5a, the command, fulfill your ministry. It means the type of command it is is do this, do it now, Don't stop doing it, and it's really important that you continue to do that. Fulfill your ministry. And the idea is that it's God in you to the maximum, and that you are doing this with maximum effort, that uh, the phrase, your utmost for his highest, the combination of you and the Holy Spirit in you. And an example of what this is, if you think about uh, doing something at your maximum for the highest prize, uh, a thing that goes to, and you know where I'm going right here, okay? A Formula One car is built to the highest prize in motorsports, and it's only built for that. There's, it is useless on the road. It doesn't have a cup holder. You can't take it off-roading. It's built for a specific function, but it functions at maximum for that one thing. This is the, in my humble opinion, the most beautiful car ever built, the Gurney Westlake Eagle built by an American, the only American car built by an American, driven by the same guy that built it, and he won races with it. That's a beautiful piece of machinery. Okay, that's probably all I can get away with. <laughs> Another one, maybe a little bit better in a team sports oriented, is the 1936 Olympics. And this gives me a chance to plug a great book. You want to read a great story? Boys in the Boat. It's a Northwest story. It even mentions Ephrata in it. But in 1936, our Olympic crew team competing for the highest prize, the gold medal, went to Nazi Germany, and go figure, the Nazis cheated, and yet we still won. 
One of our guys had the flu. It's a great story. But these college kids go take on the world's best, and they win. They were all functioning together at maximum effort for the highest prize. They were fulfilling their ministry. They were doing everything they could with every fiber of their being, doing what they can do. And that's what it means to be fulfilling your ministry. So let's look at the second part of five, verse 5, and that's ministry. What are we talking about with ministry? The Greek word, diakonia, diakonia, that sounds kind of like deacon, doesn't it? Interesting. That's exactly where we get our word deacon, and we'll talk about deacons in a minute. But this is talking about active, willing service. Uh, you might even think of it as voluntary service, something that you sign up for yourself. And almost all the uses for ministry in the Bible are related to in the faith. It's, it's ministry in the faith. It's always connected to the faith. And the idea is that if without faith, it's not really ministry. And it, so we're talking about Christian ministry, actions that are voluntarily done for others, personally for others. Uh, normally, when we talk about the, the type of ministry, it's a humble ministry. It's like Christ washing feet humble. It's a not a glamorous thing, and uh, that is important that it, it's personal for you, your ministry. It's not just for everybody. It's, it's kind of the, it's the way you're created, your circle of friends, whatever it is. Only you can do that ministry. And your ministry, sometimes you have a thought, well, I don't have a ministry because I'm not a minister. If you have your bulletin, look at the front of your bulletin. It lists kind of our, you know, who's who in the church, right? Kind of like a program. Who are the ministers at Grace Point? Oh, it's on the back. Sorry. Sorry, I didn't mean to mislead you there. I thought it was on the front. Who are the ministers at Grace Point off the back of your bulletin? You are. All of us are. We all are. Gary is. You are. I am. Uh, Does it say... All the people at Grace Point above an age of 15, below the age of 75? No, it's all of us. We're all involved in ministry. Charles Spurgeon, the great hero of uh, theology and writing and tremendous writer, he said, the propagation of the gospel is left not to a few, but to all the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. According to the measure of grace entrusted to him by the Holy Spirit, each man is bound to minister in his day and generation, both to the church and among unbelievers. That's a great piece of writing right there. Explains fulfill your ministry. Another president, our greatest president, uh, he put it a little shorter. Do what you can with what you have where you are at. You don't have to wait It's the the parable of the man in the flood. You don't have to wait for something. Do what you can with what you have where you're at. You have a circle of friends that no one else in this body of believers has. You have certain skills that nobody else in this body of believers has. Each one of you, if you're a believer, has the power of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, inside you, and that's what you have. You have his word. You have friends. You have the ability to speak. Fulfill your ministry. Another example, and I love being able to use examples in the church for things, uh, fulfill your ministry. If we have any of the deacons here this morning, I know that a couple, one, one turned 50 this week and blew his back out the same day he turned 50. 
taking a lasagna out of the oven. Is that an example for turning 50 or what? I don't know. It looks like all of our deacons, are we all? They're all, you know where they are right now? They're, if they're not here, they're uh, downstairs. Todd, I guess you're our only one. Todd, would you just stand so people can? John. Come on, Todd stood up. You have to. Okay. <laughs> These men, there's, we have four of them, Greg Hewitt and uh, Mark uh, Strickler as well. Uh, these are men that have set themselves to the task of fulfilling their ministry in the most humble of ways, looking after material needs of people in the church and some people that we know from the church. The deacons are examples of fulfilling their ministry in a humble, servant-oriented way. Great examples of that. So briefly, let's take a look at uh, these other verses, 6, 7, and 8. Verse 6, this is where, in, in my mind, it's very clear Paul thinks he's coming to the end of his life. He's saying that I'm already being poured out, past tense, as a drink offering. And that might not make a lot of sense to you necessarily. What's a drink offering? And it's an, he's referring or reminding Timothy of the old, um, somewhat pagan, idea in, in early days when you made a sacrifice on an altar with a, a lamb or a beast or you're making any kind of sacrifice, uh, they'd burn it. And then they would, the, the Romans especially, like they'd pour wine on top of the burning beast and the wine would vaporize and make steam that went up. And that was supposed to symbolize your, your offering, that the offering went up to the gods when you poured that wine on there. So as Paul's saying, that's me, that's my life. I am, my life is offered up as an offering to God. And the grammar, if you get into that, is it's something that Paul doesn't do, but somebody used Paul, in this case God, used Paul to be a drink offering. It, the image has to do with suffering, that it's not an easy thing, and the image has to do that it, it's, it's the most important thing Paul could do, that all he was, all he did was offered to God. Verse 7 is probably the greatest, I don't know, the greatest lines that I've ever, if you want to look at inspirational uh, looking back over the course of your life, fought the good fight, stayed the course, kept the faith. Uh, I've told you before, my Irish godfather, that was his catchphrase, was keep the faith. He'd end every stain, every practice, every time you see him, keep the faith. Just as it's a great phrase. Uh, besides being inspirational, it's probably worth taking a look at some of these, the triplet, the three parts of it. The phrase good fight can be translated as beautiful agony. That fighting is something, not so much a physical fight, although the word does, does refer to boxing, but that there's an agonizing aspect of what you're doing, that it's beautiful, that it's, you, you are beautiful when you're suffering for Christ. <clears throat> Christ suffered for us. And it's easy for us, especially in American culture, we kind of admire boxers, we kind of admire sports and conflict. You might think about the beautiful fight does not necessarily mean standing up and going toe-to-toe and shouting at someone and having an argument. You might think of the image of what Christ did when he was unjustly accused in court. The most unjust court system for Christ, completely innocent, stands before Pilate. Did Christ argue? No. Sometimes beautiful agony is taking the hit. Christ had a ministry to fulfill that we are the recipients, the beneficiaries of. So fighting the good fight doesn't mean arguing necessarily. Sometimes it means that keeping quiet. I'll just say personally, I have never regretted the times I've held my tongue. But there are a few, 
just a, a few, I'm sure, uh, where I have spoken and I've gone, darn it, shouldn't have said that. So <clears throat> holding your tongue could be an example of uh, fighting the good fight, the agony of it. Uh, Paul does like athletic symbolism. Uh, that's just, yeah. You might think of agony as the way, like, it's hard, like Christ sweating blood hard. Finishing the course. Paul, when people hear that, they're going to think the, the culture. Timothy, when he heard that phrase, he would think of the marathon, 26.2-kilometer running race. And the idea is that he finished the race. He did not quit at mile or kilometer 26-point-whatever. Wait a second. Is it 26.2 miles? It's miles. 26.2 miles, and it's more kilometers, right? No. Okay, this is why I'm, you know, not involved with math ever. Thank you. Yeah, that, okay, doesn't matter. 26.2 miles, let's stay there. He didn't quit at mile 26.1. He finished the entire race. He got there and completed it. We'll come back to that if finishing what we started. And then keeping the faith that he guarded it. He protected it. He made sure the faith was not perverted as it was spread. He kept it in his heart, and he endured. And then he gets to the idea of verse 8 that in the future will be laid up for me the crown of righteousness. That's a different phrase. There's some deep waters here, but real briefly, this is kind of what Paul's talking about is that this, uh, a victor's garland. We don't do this much anymore, but it would be a um, wreath of greenery, olives frequently, that would be placed around the winner's head like a little crown. The crown of righteousness was a sign of victory. And the imagery Paul is saying is when he arrives in heaven, God's righteousness will be kind of manifested. He won't have sin nature anymore. And this, this righteousness of God, the absence of sin, as Paul stands before God and Jesus Christ face to face without sin, it's like a victor's garland having no sin, having that righteousness. And it's not something Paul earned. It's something Paul was given. It was given to him. Uh, Paul's not saying you've got to work your way to heaven, you can't do this. Paul's saying if you believe, you get there. And that's when he goes on and says, not just for me, but all who believe. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you will get a victor's garland in heaven. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I trust it. And I'm excited about that. To be free from sin to see Jesus face to face, where in heaven, the only sign of sin will be the wounds on the feet and the palms and the side of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is talking about. Uh, And there's a lot going on there. The idea that uh, you don't want to fail at the end. You want to finish the course, keep the faith, and arrive in heaven with the, the victor's garland. So coming back to our central question, What's 2 Timothy about? It's about passing it on. It's making sure not just you, but the people you know will arrive in heaven with the victor's garland by their belief in Jesus Christ. And we arrive to the end of the, the breaking it down. This is what it means. What do we do about that? What I always call the so what question. So what? We've studied this book and kind of wrapping it up and trying to reflect on that all week and uh, putting that all together. It's interesting. I want to... 1994 actually early, late 1993, Vanjie and I first met and we started dating. And we, like a lot of couples, okay, we, let's look for a church. And we kind of shopped, if you will, went and tried out different churches and talked to people we liked and all that. 
And obviously, Vanjie was raised here, and this was kind of we were aiming at this. But people said about this church in the old days that it was uh, full of a lot of people who knew their Bible but didn't necessarily act on it. That was kind of the word from a couple people. And I thought, well, that's, that's an unfair knock because can you say that about everybody? None of us fulfill our ministry to the maximum or act on it. But I thought about that as a, being a leader here that some people used to 20 years ago, 25 years ago, had that image. And I don't think that's a bad thing to be convicted by. That's not a bad thing for us to think, gosh, maybe is there any truth to that? Well, I don't know if there is or not, but I know that's a good thing for us to work on being better at, about trying to be more putting our faith into action, to be more interactive with people. And really, when we come back to that original phrase, that preach the word, fulfill your ministry, it is interactive. It's not one-way communication. It's not tossing a tract into somebody's mailbox. It's not posting on social media. It involves relationship and face-to-face. And so the three things that have really been driven home to me for Paul's last words, that he had preached the word, fulfill your ministry, be of the work of the evangelist, kind of three things and a key. And here's the three things. And this is what I've picked away. These are not necessarily biblical. They're my impressions. I share them with you for you to think about and argue about and kind of think about these. But I think there's three impacts and a key to them. The first one is, in my life, there are times I want to be a Paul. I want to be passing on what I know to others. I want to be passing on the word. I want to be doing evangelism face-to-face with people. I want to make sure I've always got somebody to disciple. I want to be training somebody. I want to teach somebody, share with somebody one-on-one in an interactive way, the way Paul did. Of course, you want to do that respectfully and civilly and kind of break the image that we see out of Washington today. But we want to be interactive, to be a Paul, to be the one passing on, because there's not one of you here that doesn't have something that can benefit someone else. The second one, it's probably obvious if you know narrative structure, but there's times I want to be a Timothy. I want to surround myself with people that can pour into me, that can advise me, that can pass on what they know to me, that I can learn from, uh, to never assume that I know everything about a given subject, no matter what it is, that I can learn from them and that I can receive from them wisdom and inspiration. And I want to be a Timothy as much as I can in life. The third one, the C, is the one that this is where I'm going to possibly meddle in your life a little bit. But age doesn't matter to this If you're young, you don't have to be a Timothy all the time. If you're old, you don't have to be a Paul all the time. That age is not in the Bible as far as your ministry goes and what you should be doing or not doing. And Paul here is an old man, and he is still preaching the word. He is still passing it on. He is still active, even though he can't do what he used to do. That the idea that um, you don't retire... uh, great book that Gary gave us a little while. J.I. Packer wrote this book, uh, Finishing Our Course with Joy. Sounds like maybe J.I. Packer was looking at Second Timothy when he picked that title. But it's basically a book about you don't stop your ministry because of your age, especially kind of folks a little bit more as we get older. Because in America, we have this idea that we retire from things. And if we retire from work, we retire from everything. Uh, a lot of churches have people that are great ministers of the word that when they retire, they quit. They just drop out of everything and they disappear. 
I can't do that anymore. I'm, I'm 65, you know, I'm, I'm retired. Um, in this book, Mr. Packer quotes Mr. Billy Graham saying that the word retire does not exist in the Bible. Ah, that's an interesting phrase. Um, as I am approaching later parts of my life, that's, that's important to keep in mind. He does in the book talk about the fact that your ministry may change a little bit, though. You may express your ministry in a slightly different way. Our bodies do break down. Our minds aren't as sharp as they were as time goes on. And I was trying to think of a good example for this. And once again, we have the example right in our body. Uh, Mike Wren, you see playing music up here from time to time. Mike is starting to become a bit of a physical wreck. Uh, he's, He's breaking down. His fingers don't pluck like they used to. His voice can't control like he used to. And at the end of the day, he looks like this. He's so tired after worship that even the dog falls asleep with him, that the dog's tired from Mike working here. I say this with all jest, but in seriousness, Mike has looked forward and said, you know what, I'm not going to be able to be here all the time like I used to. And so what Mike has done is become a coach. He's stepping back and training Tammy, and Tammy someday will pass it on to somebody else. But it is that Mike will still be in worship ministry, but he will not be playing because... At some point, not quite yet, obviously, but at some point, that'll be harder for Mike. And all of us are going to deal with that as we age. It's not that we quit our ministry because our bodies or our minds or something doesn't work like it used to. It's we find a different way to do it. And God will be faithful. We don't want to be like that man on the roof of the flood going, well, I can't do what I used to do, so I guess I better quit everything. God will find other places for you to use your ministry, no matter what your age is. At the same time, now we've talked about old people, Young people, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't need to wait. You don't need to wait to get involved. There's no age limit. Yes, life experience is very helpful and has an important part of it, but you have a ministry, whether it's in your circle of friends, at school, at work, even in this church, where sometimes you think you have to wait to get involved, you don't. And so all of us are impacted by that. And in my youth, I didn't get involved in stuff because I didn't think it was ready yet. I was too young. I didn't, you know, at some point we have to look at what the Bible says and apply it and say, okay, maybe I shouldn't be waiting around. Keep fighting the good fight. The key to all these things, whether it's to be a Timothy, to be a Paul, to get involved no matter your age, the key to all that are relationships. The Christian life is not a solo life whether it's in the context of a body of believers here at Grace Point or a body of friends, we are called to be in this community and we want to be around people. And in my own life, I've tried to look at who I spend time with and maybe try to balance more believers and unbelievers. If I'm going to be an effective witness, I need to have relationships built up with people that don't yet know the faith or even are actively opposed to the faith. And keep building up that relationship so the time may come when I can share. Or maybe my role with a person is to just plant seeds. And somebody else is going to harvest that and be able to lead them to the Lord. I'm just going to do my part to keep furthering the ball down the road. I want to cultivate people in my life that I can learn from spiritually. I want to cultivate people in my life that I can witness to spiritually. So at the end of this... I guess some days I'm going to try to be Paul, and some days I'm going to try to be Timothy, and I'm going to remember that no matter what, I've got a ministry that's not dependent on my body, that's not dependent on 
who I am right now, what technology we have or whatever. Um, I want to be around people that I can pass it on with and can have it passed on to me. So as we come here, we've spent six weeks together taking a look at 2 Timothy, uh, going back to those final words. The Apostle Paul is an important person in the Bible, wrote many, many books, and his final words are worth listening to. And we want to end our life being able to say what Paul did, that we have fought the good fight, that we have finished the course, that we have kept the faith. Keep the faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning that we can be together with you. We thank you for the comfortable building and the nice chairs and all the things that we sometimes don't think about uh, that are different here than they are in much of your believers' experience around the world. Uh, We remember our our friends, our brothers and sisters in China, in Hong Kong, Macau, that uh, have many restrictions and many things that place uh, danger on them for standing up for you. Father, may we never take the blessing of freedoms, our word in our language, your word in our language, for granted. Father, as we close this time uh, together, your church gathers together, we choose to worship you now, to reflect on the truth, your awesomeness, your holiness, your great love for us expressed in the perfect Jesus Christ. And we want to worship you as a response to who you are, what you are, your grace and your mercy in our lives. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand uh, one more. I think I have one more song in me. I'm pretty sure I can make it. Why don't you join me and do that? Yeah. <clears throat>